0: Welcome to episode 11 of the Drug Training Podcast. In this episode, I invited retired Lieutenant Devin Chase to talk with me about drug dealing and how to prove these types of cases. Devin is an experienced narcotics detective and a DRE instructor, and I also happen to teach classes with him around the world. He has some great insight into drug dealing, and we could all learn a thing or two from him.
1: Welcome to the Drug Training Podcast with Keith Graves, a police officer who spent 28 years specializing in drug investigations and who regularly teaches law enforcement officers, private businesses, and concerned families on spotting and dealing with drug use. This podcast is the essential resource for both professionals and individuals who need practical help, advice, and insight. Now, here's your host, Keith Graves.
0: Hey, Devin, welcome to the show. Hey, Keith, good to be here. Hey, so uh, the audience may or may not know you. I want you to just tell them a little bit about yourself, who you are, and uh, just what you do.
1: Great. Well, I've been in law enforcement for uh, 38 years now. Uh, Over 32 of that was full-time law enforcement, where I worked uh, primarily patrol and narcotics. Uh, Spent over 18 years in a black and white and uh, 10 years working full-time narcotics, doing the whole undercover thing and all that. And uh, since I retired uh, five years ago, I became a reserve and I work actually as a law enforcement chaplain now. Uh, Started teaching drugs and drug-related classes back in 1991, so about 29 years ago. And I've been developing classes and teaching, uh, primarily to law enforcement, but also to the private sector schools, things like that. Uh, all about drugs, everything from drug influence to drug cartels to how to prove a sales case. And so Dev is a little bit modest. Devon uh, Devin was
0: also California's narcotics officer of the year and, uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, we've had a lot of conversations over the years. When you say you worked undercover, I mean, we're talking like as far back as um, working Colombian cases and then Mexican cartel cases later on, right?
1: Yeah. uh, When I first got into narcotics uh, back in 1989, uh, the Colombians were really making their mark in Southern California. And uh, my team and I did a lot of chasing the Colombians around all over uh, California and even into some of the other states. Uh, And then as the Mexican cartels started to really emerge as powerhouses, uh, we would investigate them as well. And so, you know, it's funny, like a lot of people, like a lot, uh, we talked about this earlier,
0: Uh, Devin and I teach a lot of classes together. And the reason why I brought him in here is he teaches a really good class uh, called Street Development. And why, Devin, why don't you tell
1: us a little bit about that street development class? Cause it, it, it's a pretty cool class. Yeah, really the, the whole genesis of where the street development class came from was I realized that as a patrol cop, a lot of guys see stuff and they don't know what they're seeing. And they, you know, we're cops. We don't, we don't want to ask questions. So a lot of stuff goes missing. So what I tried to do is put together a class, which was really like hands-on, uh, for instance, in this, in the street dope class, we, uh, make a, a rock cocaine pipe. Uh, we load up a syringe, uh, not with real dope. Uh, and we do an injection and not on us or our partners. We do it into a, uh, a piece of fruit that has given its life in the name of science. But, uh, hmm. we, uh, basically just do things and i show things that the street cop needs to know so that they can do their job better do their job more effectively and ultimately what as with you keith uh, because we have talked about this a lot i have a goal that i want all officers to testify as experts because i know that you know There's a lot of people who actually think that in order to testify as an expert in court, you know, the heavens have to open up and the hand of God has to come down and "Ah, you are now an expert. But you and I both know that that's not the case. The reality is you just have to know more than the average person. And so I'm a big proponent of bringing cops up to speed so that they can testify as experts.
0: And. You know, a lot of people are listening to this. They're sitting in their patrol car or they're sitting in their office and they're thinking to themselves like, oh, you guys work cartels, you work all these bigger cases. But a majority of the drug dealing cases that people deal with on an everyday basis aren't the kilos, aren't the pounds, aren't like the big stuff. It's what you just talked about. Cops seeing stuff, not knowing what it is like a cop recovering 10 grams of methamphetamine and then just booking the guy for just possession of personal use.
1: Oh, yeah. And, I, I've seen yeah, that way too many times.
0: Yeah. And it, it bothers me because they're really getting rid of good intelligence, a good case. And with just a little bit more follow up, they can do more. And so, you know, if you can just talk a little bit about um, amounts for drug sales, like one of the interview questions I asked when people were coming in to our special operations unit, I would ask them, you know, what's the smallest amount of drugs you've arrested somebody for sales and it was, oh, you know, it was some pretty good amounts that people were coming in. One time I have a tenured officer that told me, well, I've never made one before. And it's like, well, what are you putting in for this unit for then? But one of the guys is a young guy. He looked kind of ashamed. And he's like, well, I arrested a guy once for having a quarter gram of meth for sales. And I'm like, well, why don't you describe it to me? He had everything you needed to prove a sales case. And it was an excellent case. And there was nothing to be ashamed of. So why don't you tell me, like, what what you see in a, in, a, in a typical street sales case and,
1: and how, how an officer would prove that? Well, your basic sales case, if you're not just doing weight only, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but it, if, if you're not doing a weight only sales case, then the reality is is the quantity is not as important as everything else that they have. Because as as I always describe it, you're you're painting a picture or you're building a house. And each little piece that you can put onto the house makes it a more complete house. Any piece that you can add to the painting makes it a more complete painting. And so the quantity is what a lot of guys get hung up on. But as you said, uh, a small amount, a gram or sometimes even less than a gram, uh, is sold because our typical user is, is buying a 10th of a gram at a time. So somebody who has a gram might have it to sell to 10 people. So what you're then looking for is what are the other things that drug dealers have? How is that gram packaged? Is that gram packaged in one baggie or is it broken into 10 baggies? Um, is there any use paraphernalia? Does the person who has that gram show any signs that they're actually under the influence or that they're even a user? That's why, you know, the the drug abuse recognition class that you and I have have taught for many years is so important. Uh, it's gotta be the, like a basic part of your tool belt as an officer, uh, because influence tells you a lot of stuff. And in fact, the lack of influence tells you a lot, especially in a sales case.
0: Absolutely, and you know one of the factors that people forget about a a possession case or a sales case is knowledge of what the substance is. Well, if the person's high on the substance they're carrying, I think that shows knowledge of what that substance is. You know, it real. You're right that that drug abuse recognition course. I mean, I don't know. How it was for, for me that was a what kind of turned the light on for me and made me a great street cop, you know, just going out there, uh, understanding influence.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what I'm looking for is again, not necessarily the quantity, uh, but I'm looking for what, what does this person have or what do they not have? Uh, do they have clean or dirty baggies? Clean baggies, that indicates that you're a dealer. Dirty baggies, well, that's indicative of a user. Uh, Do they have a scale or some other device to weigh stuff? Uh, Do they have cut? Uh, Do they have money? And specifically, what denominations of money do they have and how are they storing it? One of the things that I saw over and over, time and time again, with dealers was I would go into their pockets and I would find cash in say their left pocket, but I'd go into their right pocket and I'd also find cash. But the difference between the two pockets, which that in and of itself is unusual. Usually people carry all their money all together, was that one of the pockets had cash that was in consistent bills with uh, dope sales. So if somebody's selling, you know, $20 pieces of heroin, then they've got a whole lot of $20 bills in their pocket, as opposed to the other pocket, which is their personal money, which is, you know, ones and fives and tens and, and whatnot. And the and the and the way I like to, when I'm talking to officers or teaching officers about this is the analogy is if you worked at McDonald's, You don't walk into McDonald's and take your money out of your pocket and put it into Mr. McDonald's register. The money in the register is Mr. McDonald's. The money in your pocket is yours. Well, dope dealers are the same way. They've got somebody that they owe that money to. And so they keep their dope money in their dope money pocket and they keep their money in their other pocket.
0: You know, you're absolutely right. And the, and the biggest thing is I see cops find that stuff, but then they don't document it. Like they know that that's dope dealing, but then they don't write it in the report. But that's important to write down because that's something that only drug dealers do for the
1: most part. Well, exactly. And I, I know, again, you, you're very uh, familiar because this is a lot of what you do as well. Is in my life now, frequently what I get is is i get the prosecutor who calls me up or emails me and says hey devin i'm going to send you a report take a look at this report and give me your expert opinion on whether or not this is supported is this sales case supported is this whatever supported and so i read a lot of police reports even still still to this day and i constantly see that it's there, but it's not clearly articulated. It's not clearly documented, which is going to just make it more difficult for you when you get to court. Absolutely.
0: Now let's let's talk a little bit about um, making cases just on dope. And let's say you don't have you know you don't have scales, you don't have a gun, you know you don't have you know you know cutter and all the other stuff that we normally see with a sales case let's say it's just quantity. Can you just tell me about quantity and why it's important to know what a dosage unit is uh, of a certain drug and just how you're going to tie that all in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, in a weight only case, the very first thing you have to do is you, I call it, you have to do the math. And I know as cops, we're like, what do you mean? I got to do math, but here's, here's the thing. you got to do the math. The very, uh, First thing to do the math is you have to know what does a user normally use. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, there's a lot of uh, the hard drugs out there like meth or heroin where the typical user's dose is a tenth of a gram. Uh, but you need to know what that is for the different um, users, the different types of dope, etc. Because what you have to figure out is, okay, this guy, let's say he's got an eight ball, 3.5 grams. How many doses of that particular drug are in that eight ball? If he's using a 10th of a gram dose, then he's got 35 doses in that eight ball. Well, then you ask yourself, okay, if he's got 35 doses, how long will that keep him high? So in addition to knowing what is the usual amount people possess, you also have to know how long that, that amount of dope is gonna keep the person high. And once you, you basically do that math, you now know that that eight ball could keep that guy high for this many days. You then ask the next question, which is, would a normal user be uh, high that many days in a row for that type of dope and then would it be reasonable for them to purchase basically that many days worth of dope all at once and usually the answer is no because one of the rules of i'm probably getting ahead of myself but one of the rules of dope use 101 is you only buy what you can use
0: hmm the costco defense
1: yes. is what people end up doing, they're going to buy in bulk, Here is what the thought is. Exactly. In fact, if you do a weight only case, uh, even if you have a poor defense attorney, and I guarantee if you have a good one, you will get hit by one of the very first questions from them is officer, deputy, detective, whatever your title, isn't it cheaper to buy drugs in quantity? And of course the answer is yes, it's always cheaper to buy in quantity, which the defense attorney will then follow up with, well, if it makes sense to buy in quantity because it's cheaper, then why wouldn't my client have bought it in quantity?
0: You know, and it's it's funny. One time I was debriefing a guy and one of the things that we were going to talk about later was uh, talking to just talking to drug dealers and drug users. And I remember I was talking to a guy about this Costco defense and they give you some great answers sometimes. And this guy says, well, if I got it, I'm going to use it. So if I buy an ounce, I'm using it. (laughs) I just thought that was the funniest thing because, you know, it's true. They just
1: don't have self-control. Well, you know, exactly. And that's, um, one of the, the things that I've actually had the opportunity, um, in testimony in court to, to use, uh, once or twice was when you talk about quantity and use, the reality is, is that people who are users are addicted. And if they're Mm. addicted, they're going to use it. And the analogy that I use in court, and I also use it when I'm teaching is I, I have a weakness. Uh, I'm going to share with the whole world right now. I have a weakness for double double dark chocolate, chocolate chip cookies. Those things, if you put one in front of me, I'm going to eat it. If you put 10 in front of me, I'm going to eat them. So if I were to go to Costco and they had a really good deal on, you know, double dark chocolate cookies, then it doesn't do me any good to buy a month's supply of them because I'm going to eat them in a day. Right. Dark chocolate cookies are not nearly as addictive as methamphetamine.
0: (laughs) So, you know, that's that's a good analogy. Uh, You know, I got to tell you, one of the things I like is when I read a police report, you know, you talk about a DA will give you a report to read. And I like seeing the officers that break down that dosage unit. I know that a dosage unit is a tenth of a gram of meth or meth of methamphetamine is 10th of a gram. Now we're going to put up a link in the show notes that you can download a list of a majority of the drugs you're going to come across and what the dosage unit is and a reference. So you can go back and prove that's what the dosage unit is. So a 10th of a gram of methamphetamine is a dosage unit. Uh, you recover a guy with a pound of methamphetamine. You're like, that's great. A lot of people will just book it and say it's sales because that's a lot. Right, but what ha- what happens if you put in your report that a dosage unit is a tenth of a gram? He had a pound, which is four hundred fifty four grams, which means he has four hundred fifty four thousand dosage units in his possession, right. and that it would take him this many years of staying high twenty four seven to get through that pound.
1: I I couldn't agree more. In fact, I'm a proponent that if you're going to do a weight only. Um, it should always include that math because Absolutely. a it spells it out so that it's especially if you got a pound, it, it's an astronomical number and it really proves the point. But the other thing about it is that if you're in the habit of doing it and you do it every time, then defense attorneys and here's the, the bottom line, you know, this you work in the same pool over and over again. And so the same defense attorneys are seeing your reports over and over again. And if that's just something you Mm -hmm. do, that's a hallmark of a good cop because the defense attorney already knows that that info is gonna be in there. Uh, And that also, let's say it's not a weight only case. Let's say it's weight plus you've got some paraphernalia of of sales, you've got some packaging and a scale. Again, a good defense attorney, the way they attack your case is they pick it apart piece by piece. And so they're trying you know, let's say you've got that good arrest and it was a quantity of dope that was good, but, and the, you had a scale also, and you had some clean baggies and a good defense attorney in court, all of a sudden makes your scale go away and he makes your baggies go away. Well, if you still got that weight formula in your report, the sales case is not going away. Absolutely. And it, it, yeah. And it doesn't matter how big your case
0: is. I mean, my biggest case was 106 kilos of Coke. And, uh, and I know guys have had lots more than that, but I was pretty proud of that. And I still broke down the dosage units, and it was millions of dosage units. And I remember my supervisor, when he was approving it, he's like, Do you really need to put this in there? Yeah. Doesn't it paint the picture of how much this is? It's enough to give. Every man, woman, and child in the San Francisco Bay Area, a dose of cocaine. <laughs> you know, it, it really paints that out. And you're right. These attorneys, if they're really good, they're going to do a suppression hearing and get rid of as much as they can. And you're going to be left holding the bag, <laughs> so yes. to speak, exactly. you know, trying to prove trying to prove your case. So, Devin, what else? What other advice do you have? for all the listeners out there that are out there taking
1: care of, uh, uh, taking care of the streets. Well, the, the, as you and I have talked about, I call it going to school. One of the things if if I could get every cop in the U S to do this, the, there'd be a lot, uh, more people going to jail. And I, what I call it is going to school because here's the thing we as cops deal with bad guys all day long. Heck, if you're if you're a sheriff's deputy and you just got hired and you're working in the jail, all you're doing all day long is hanging out with with crooks and they're bored. If you took just a couple minutes with each crook and you went to school with them, and what I mean by that is you start just asking them questions. Like, hey, if if you won the lottery and you could buy uh a month's supply of meth. Would you do it? And you'll get answers like you were just talking about. You know, when you interviewed that guy, heck, no, I wouldn't. Because if I buy it, I'm going to use it. And the more people that you get to get those statements from, you know, statements about, well, how much do you use? How long have you been using? How much do you use at a time? Uh, do you ever buy more? in quantity than you can use for your immediate needs. Um, You know, is there a difference in, in your use if you snort it or smoke it, if you inject it anyway, you ask all those questions, you get all that knowledge and a, that helps you in your confidence when you're, you're making your next arrest. But B when you go to court and again, I, I talk about testifying as an expert and you're up there, um, being questioned as to whether you're an expert or not. One of the best things that you can throw out in your expertise is, well, I've interviewed, you know, and maybe you're new to it. So I've interviewed five methamphetamine users, but maybe you've been doing this for a while and you've been asking these questions for a while and you can say, I've interviewed a hundred, I've interviewed 500, I've interviewed a thousand methamphetamine users. And this is what they've said. I'll tell you, Keith, the the times that I have watched figuratively the defense attorney's head spin around, they're so upset <laughs> is when, when I, when they say, well, how do you know X, Y, and Z? And I said, well, I've interviewed a thousand, uh, heroin users and they all told me that he can't, or she can't rebut that with anything other than their own defense witness. And they, and, by the way, the bell can't be unrung. So the jury just heard that. Yep.
0: Yep. It, you know, I got to tell you, like you're in the same position I am where you get phone calls about like, Hey, can you tell me about this new drug that's out there? I tell you, you know, especially being retired, you don't come across this new stuff, but I still keep in contact with a lot of my old informants who are still doing drugs and you call them and they can tell you everything about it. And, and even still like now you know, I volunteer in uh, veteran's drug court. So there's a separate, uh, court for veterans going, th- um, uh, going through their troubles. And, you know, I get these guys, um, they know that I was a cop and I work narcs, but we talk about drugs all the time. I learned so much from them about what's going on right now. And they're, they like talking about it. You know, you know, you, you'd be amazed. You would think, oh, this guy would never tell me, but we don't know what it's like to use meth, but to hear them describe it and how it feels as it goes into their body and how they act and, you know, just their norms. I mean, it's just, you learn so much.
1: Well, ex- exactly. And that's, again, I, I was a new cop once and actually uh, for a lot of years, I, I never thought about going to school on people. And I was just in that mode of, Hey, just get enough for my arrest and move on. And and then I actually had a a mentor of mine who watched me do an interview and pulled me aside after and just said, there is so much more gold out there that you didn't mine, And if you just took a few minutes to do it, it'd make you a better cop. And it did. And a lot of these
0: people are probably wondering what questions do I ask? Now, Some of the questions I ask is, hey, what, you know, of course we have to worry about Miranda and custodial situation stuff, but let's just say that uh, Miranda's been taken care of, they're talking to you of their own free will. Uh, You know, the questions that I ask, you know, is, uh, what drugs do you use? How long have you used them? What does it feel like when you use them? Uh, You know, you'll get like murder cases where the guy's defense is, well, I was high on crack crack when I killed that person. So I like asking the people that do those drugs, Hey, would you ever think of killing somebody? And it's interesting to hear what they say. I was in a homicide trial where a guy killed an 80 year old woman. And I'm like, Hey, if you were ever on, when you are on crack, did you ever think about killing an 80 year old woman? Of course not. I know that's wrong. You know, and it's nice when you're testifying to be able to say these things, you know, that you you've heard it firsthand from these users. Uh, hey, when you, when you buy drugs or not buy drugs, but when you hold drugs for sale, where do you keep them? How do you hide it? How do you keep it from the cops? When the cops stop you, how do you make sure that they don't search you? Uh, what are the things you do? Where do you hide it? Uh, you know, just how do you act? And these things are a mine, but uh, is there any other questions you ask that that uh, may our listeners might be able to use and start running with tonight?
1: Well, one of, one of the things that I, I always like to ask is, you know, what do you use? And let, let's say they, they say they use, uh, math. Then I'll say, what in your neighborhood do they call it? Because mm. there's neighborhood slang. And one of the things that is, uh, again, golden about knowing neighborhood slang is that if I walk up to a user and, and part of this whole process of, of interviewing users and dealers and whatnot is, Establishing a rapport. You just mentioned Miranda. Well, I, I, if I established a rapport with somebody, they always wanted to talk to me, and so it's establishing a rapport. Well, part of the way you establish a rapport is you use their lingo. So, if you can, uh, uh, well, there's a, a a video I show in one of my classes that I love because it's a interview of a heroin addict, and he's in downtown L.A., and he mentions that he, when he buys his heroin, he calls it a football. So it's like, well, a football is a very unique, um, slang and it's obviously a slang in downtown LA. So the way I, I couch this is if I walk up to a heroin user and I go, Hey, tell me about your heroin use. I may or may not get some good answers from him. But if I walk up to him and I go, Hey dude, uh, how much do you pay for a football? In a, in a crook's brain it's basically the bottom line crooks are going to lie that that is a no brainer but my experience tells me that crooks lie less when they think you know more so the more you can basically game them to to have the idea that you know a lot they're going to lie less to you and they're going to be more forthcoming to you so i always try and get you know Okay, you use it. What do they call it in your neighborhood? What's the slang for it? What's the what's the street quantity? If I was going to go buy it, and I walked up to a dealer, what would I say to them? You know, because I'm not going to walk up and go, "Excuse me, sir, I would like to buy some methamphetamine." You know, because I'm getting because <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting nowhere. <laughs> but, you might get robbed now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so I I'm big on what do they call it. What are the slangs? What are the street terminologies? If you know when you buy it, um, you know what do you say? How do you, you know, what does a deal look like? Uh, how does the deal happen? You know, do you get in the car with the guy, drive around the block? Does he get in your car, drive around the block? Do you do it on the street corner? Do you go up to a house? You know, because everything is different. Every neighborhood's different. But all that stuff is going into your knowledge bank. Awesome. So, Devin,
0: uh, is there anything else uh, before we wrap this up? Is there anything else that you want to let everybody know?
1: Yeah, uh, just a couple things. Um, when you uh, it, and it's actually another one of the things we do in the, in my street dope classes, we actually take dope um, or fake dope and we kind of eyeball it. And I, I would encourage our users to do this and our, our, our users, all the people. <laughs> listening. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about users and dealers and I got that on my brain. Yeah. Um, it, I would encourage, uh, everyone listening to do this on their own and is grab yourself a sweet and low pack, uh, which is a gram. And it's a, a representative gram that's very similar to what a gram of meth would look like or a gram of heroin would look like. And just take that sweet and low. You know, the next time you're you're allowed to go into a restaurant um, and sit, uh, pour the sweet and low out and look at that and say, okay, that's a gram. And then take something, take a business card or your ID or whatever and divide it in half. That's two half grams now, and then take one of those half gram piles and, and make it into five lines. By now, if you're in uniform at the coffee shop, people are really looking at you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but each one of those lines now, those five lines represents a 10th of a gram. And then that gives you an eye to look at how much a 10th of a gram is, how much a gram is, how much a half, etc. And the whole reason for that is again, credibility. If you're making an arrest and a, and a dude's got a tenth of a gram on him, you should be able to eyeball that and and look at him and go, "Hey, would you pay for that tenth of a gram?" If on the other hand, you know you're you're looking at a tenth of a gram and you're you're asking the crook, "Well, how much is this?" Right away, crooks lie more when they think you know less. So they're going to start lying more to you. So learn to eyeball dope in quantities that you're going to see so that you know exactly what a 10th looks like, what a what a teener looks like, what, what an 8-ball looks like. Um, and again, just um, talk, talk, talk. Because the more you talk to these people, the more... Uh, knowledge you're going to have and the more knowledge you have the more confidence you have the more confidence you have the better you're going to be at your job
0: you're absolutely right well we could talk all day about the just this subject in fact we've got classes on this if um anybody out there listening wanted to reach out to you is there
1: how would they contact you uh the best way to get a hold of me is through my uh uh email address uh or my uh website, and that is teamchasetraining at gmail.com and teamchasetraining.com is my website. Awesome.
0: And we'll put links to all that up on our website or up on our show notes for this. Devin, thank you so much for coming in. It was awesome to chat with you.
1: No, no problem. I'm I'm happy to uh, do it anytime. And and if anybody who's listening ever has any questions or if I can help them in any way, uh, I I live to help people. That's that's my motto in life. Thanks, Devin. I really appreciate it. you. Take care, brother. You take care too, Keith. Good to see you. <laughs>
0: This episode of the Drug Training Podcast is brought to you by LA Police Gear. LA Police Gear has a new tactical pant that is perfect for police officers. Why pay upwards of 80 bucks for a pair of pants? I just got a pair of LA Police Gear's Battle Rattle Stretch pant, and it's only $39. I've been wearing them for the last couple of weeks, and they feel much better than the competition, and they're half the cost. Click on the link in the show notes to get more information on this comfortable and affordable tactical pant. Those alert tones are letting us know about the crazy stuff that's happening in the drug world. Uh, This month's crazy news story is going to come out of California, where a lot of them come from. And right now, as I'm recording this, we're in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. Most of the country shut down. And in California's shelter-in-place order, they listed marijuana dispensaries as critical infrastructure. They're listed on page one of the order under healthcare slash public health as critical infrastructure. This is the same section as doctors and nurses. So, you got to meet your barber in a dark alley with unmarked bills to get your hair cut. But hey, you can still get your pot anytime you want to. As we wrap up our show, please subscribe, rate, and review the Drug Training Podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen to us on. While you're cooped up at home or stuck in a patrol car because of the coronavirus, Visit our online training site, onlinetraining.gravesassociates.com to get current information on the latest drugs and investigative strategies. Also, if you can email me with any questions or comments that you have at podcast at And if you want more information on a weekly basis, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter, the Drug Intelligence Bulletin at druguserécognition.com slash That's it for now. Stay healthy and be safe.